Section 12 of Captain Singleton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Dennis Sayers. The Life, Adventures, and Piracies of the Famous Captain Singleton by Daniel Defoe. During our encampment here, we had several adventures with the ravenous creatures of that country, and had not our fire always been kept burning, I questioned much whether all our fence, though we strengthened it afterwards with twelve or fourteen rows of stakes or more, would have kept us secure. It was always in the night that we had the disturbance of them, and sometimes they came in such multitudes that we thought all the lions and tigers and leopards and wolves of Africa were come together to attack us. One night, being clear moonshine, one of our men, being upon the watch, told us that he verily believed he saw ten thousand wild creatures of one sort or another pass by our little camp, and ever as they saw the fire they sheared off, but were sure to howl or roar or whatever it was when they were past. The music of their voices was very far from being pleasant to us, and sometimes would be so very disturbing that we could not sleep for it, and often our sentinels would call us that were awake to come and look at them. It was one windy, tempestuous night, after a rainy day, that we were indeed called up, for such innumerable numbers of devilish creatures came about us that our watch really thought they would attack us. They would not come on the side where the fire was, and though we thought ourselves secure everywhere else, yet we all got up and took to our arms. The moon was near the full, but the air full of flying clouds and a strange hurricane of wind to add to the terror of the night, when, looking on the back part of our camp, I thought I saw a creature within our fortification, and so indeed he was, except his haunches, for he had taken a running leap, I suppose, and with all his might had thrown himself clear over our palisades, except one strong pile, which stood higher than the rest, and which had caught hold of him, and by his weight he had hanged himself upon it, the spike of the pile running into his hinder haunch, or thigh, on the inside, and by that he hung, growling and biting the wood for rage. I snatched up a lance from one of the negroes that stood just by me, and running to him, stuck it three or four times into him, and dispatched him, being unwilling to shoot, because I had a mind to have a volley fired among the rest, whom I could see standing without, as thick as a drove of bullocks going to a fair. I immediately called our people out, and showed them the object of terror which I had seen, and without any further consultation, fired a full volley among them, most of our pieces being loaded with two or three slugs or bullets apiece. It made a horrible clutter among them, and, 
In general, they all took to their heels, only that we could observe that some walked off with more gravity and majesty than others, being not so much frighted at the noise and fire, and we could perceive that some were left upon the ground struggling as for life, but we durst not stir out to see what they were. Indeed, they stood so thick and were so near us that we could not well miss or killing or wounding some of them, and we believed they had certainly the smell of us, and our victuals we had been killing, for we had killed a deer, and three or four of those creatures like goats the day before, and some of the offal had been thrown out behind our camp, and this, we suppose, drew them so much about us, but we avoided it for the future. Though the creatures fled, yet we heard a frightful roaring all night at the place where they stood, which we supposed was from some that were wounded, and as soon as day came, we went out to see what execution we had done. And, indeed, it was a strange sight. There were three tigers and two wolves, quite killed, besides the creature I had killed within our palisade, which seemed to be of an ill-gendered kind, between a tiger and a leopard. Besides this, there was a noble old lion, alive, but with both his forelegs broke, so that he could not stir away, and he had almost beat himself to death with struggling all night, and we found that this was the wounded soldier that had roared so loud and given us so much disturbance. Our surgeon, looking at him, smiled. Now, says he, if I could be sure this lion would be grateful to me, as one of his majesty's ancestors was to Androcles, the Roman slave, I would certainly set both his legs again and cure him. I had not heard the story of Androcles, so he told it me at large. But as to the surgeon, we told him he had no way to know whether the lion would do so or not, but to cure him first and trust to his honour. But he had no faith, so to dispatch him and put him out of his torment, he shot him in the head and killed him, for which we called him the king-killer ever after. Our negroes found no less than five of these ravenous creatures wounded, and dropped at a distance from our quarters, whereof one was a wolf, one a fine spotted young leopard, and the other were creatures that we knew not what to call them. We had several more of these gentle folks about after that, but no such general rendezvous of them as that was any more. But this ill effect it had to us, that it frighted the deer and other creatures from our neighborhood, of whose company we were much more desirous, and which were necessary for our subsistence. However, our negroes went out every day a-hunting, as they called it, with bow and arrow, and they scarce ever failed of bringing us home something or other, and particularly we found in this part of the country after the rains had fallen some time, abundance of wild fowl, such as we have in England, duck, teal, 
widgeon, etc., some geese, and some kinds that we had never seen before, and we frequently killed them. Also, we catched a great deal of fresh fish out of the river, so that we wanted no provision. If we wanted anything, it was salt to eat with our fresh meat, but we had a little left, and we used it sparingly. For as to our negroes, they could not taste it, nor did they care to eat any meat that was seasoned with it. The weather began now to clear up. The rains were down, and the floods abated, and the sun, which had passed our zenith, was gone to the southward a good way, so we prepared to go on our way. It was the twelfth of October, or thereabouts, that we began to set forward, and, having an easy country to travel in, as well as to supply us with provisions, though still without inhabitants, we made more dispatch, travelling sometimes, as we calculated it, twenty or twenty-five miles a day, nor did we halt anywhere in eleven days' march, one day excepted, which was to make a raft to carry us over a small river, which, having swelled with the rains, was not yet quite down. When we were past this river, which, by the way, ran to the northward, too, we found a great row of hills in our way. We saw, indeed, the country open to the right at a great distance, but as we kept true to our course due west, we were not willing to go a great way out of our way, only to shun a few hills. So we advanced, but we were surprised when, being not quite come to the top, one of our company, who, with two negroes, was got up before us, cried out, The sea! The sea! and fell a-dancing and jumping, as signs of joy. The gunner and I were most surprised at it, because we had but that morning been calculating that we must have yet above a thousand miles on the seaside, and that we could not expect to reach it till another rainy season would be upon us so that when our man cried out, The sea, the gunner was angry, and said he was mad. But we were both in the greatest surprise imaginable when, coming to the top of the hill, and though it was very high, we saw nothing but water, either before us, or to the right hand, or the left, being a vast sea, without any bounds but the horizon. We went down the hill full of confusion of thought, not being able to conceive whereabouts we were, or what it must be, seeing by all our charts the sea was yet a vast way off. It was not above three miles from the hills before we came to the shore, or water edge of the sea, and there, to our surprise, we found the water fresh and pleasant to drink, so that, in short, we knew not what course to take. The sea, as we thought it to be, put a full stop to our journey, I mean westward, for it lay just in the way. Our next question was, which hand to turn to, to the right hand or the left? But this was soon resolved, 
for as we knew not the extent of it, we considered that our way, if it had been the sea really, must be on the north, and therefore if we went to the south now, it must be just so much out of our way at last. So, having spent a good part of the day in our surprise at the thing, and consulting what to do, we set forward to the north. We travelled upon the shore of this sea full twenty-three days before we could come to any resolution about what it was, at the end of which, early one morning, one of our seamen cried out, Land! And it was no false alarm, for we saw plainly the tops of some hills at a very great distance, on the further side of the water, due west. But though this satisfied us, that it was not the ocean, but an inland sea or lake, yet we saw no land to the northward, that is to say, no end of it, but were obliged to travel eight days more, and near a hundred miles farther, before we came to the end of it, and then we found this lake or sea ended in a very great river, which ran north or north by east as the other river had done, which I mentioned before. My friend, the gunner, upon examining, said that he believed that he was mistaken before, and that this was the river Nile, but was still of the mind that we were of before, that we should not think of a voyage into Egypt that way. So we resolved upon crossing this river, which, however, was not so easy as before, the river being very rapid, and channel very broad. It cost us, therefore, a week to get materials to waft ourselves and cattle over this river, for though here were stores of trees, yet there was none of any considerable growth sufficient to make a canoe. During our march on the edge of this bank, we met with great fatigue, and therefore travelled a fewer miles in a day than before, there being such a prodigious number of little rivers that came down from the hills on the east side, emptying themselves into this gulf, all which waters were pretty high, the rains having been but newly over. In the last three days of our travel we met with some inhabitants, but we found they lived upon the little hills, and not by the waterside, nor were we a little put to it for food in this march, having killed nothing for four or five days but some fish we caught out of the lake, and that not in such plenty as we found before. But to make us some amends, we had no disturbance upon all the shores of this lake from any wild beasts. The only inconveniency of that kind was that we met an ugly, venomous, deformed kind of a snake or serpent in the wet grounds near the lake, that several times pursued us, as if it would attack us, and if we struck or threw anything at it, it would raise itself up and hiss so loud that it might be heard a great way. It had a hellish, ugly, deformed look and voice, and our men could not be persuaded, but it was the devil, only that we did not know what business Satan could have there, where 
there were no people. It was very remarkable that we had now travelled a thousand miles without meeting with any people in the heart of the whole continent of Africa, where, to be sure, never man set his foot since the sons of Noah spread themselves over the face of the whole earth. Here also our gunner took an observation with his forestaff to determine our latitude, and he found now that having marched about thirty-three days northward, we were in six degrees, twenty-two minutes south latitude. After having with great difficulty got over this river, we came into a strange wild country that began a little to affright us, for though the country was not a desert of dry scalding sand, as that was we had passed before, yet it was mountainous, barren, and infinitely full of most furious wild beasts, more than any place we had passed yet. There was indeed a kind of coarse herbage on the surface, and now and then a few trees, or rather shrubs, but people we could see none, and we began to be in great suspense about victuals, for we had not killed a deer a great while, but had lived chiefly upon fish and fowl, always by the waterside, both of which seemed to fail us now, and we were in the more consternation, because we could not lay in a stock here to proceed upon, as we did before, but were obliged to set out with scarcity, and without any certainty of a supply. We had, however, no remedy but patience and having killed some fowls, and dried some fish, as much as, with short allowance, we reckoned would last us five days, we resolved to venture, and venture we did. Nor was it without cause that we were apprehensive of the danger, for we travelled the five days, and met neither with fish, nor fowl, nor four-footed beast, whose flesh was fit to eat, and we were in a most dreadful apprehension of being famished to death. On the sixth day we almost fasted, or, as we may say, we ate up all the scraps of what we had left, and at night lay down supperless upon our mats with heavy hearts, being obliged, the eighth day, to kill one of our poor servants, the buffaloes that carried our baggage. The flesh of this creature was very good, and so sparingly did we eat of it, that it lasted us all three days and a half, and was just spent. And we were on the point of killing another, when we saw before us a country that promised better, having high trees, and a large river in the middle of it. This encouraged us, and we quickened our march for the riverside, though with empty stomachs, and very faint and weak. But before we came to this river, we had the good hap to meet with some young deer, a thing we had long wished for. In a word, having shot three of them, we came to a full stop to fill our bellies, and never gave the flesh time to cool before we ate it. Nay, it was much as we could stay to kill it, 
and had not eaten it alive, for we were, in short, almost famished. Through all that inhospitable country we saw continually lions, tigers, leopards, civet, cats, and abundance of kinds of creatures that we did not understand. We saw no elephants, but every now and then we met with an elephant's tooth lying on the ground, and some of them lying, as it were, half buried by the length of time that they had lain there. When we came to the shore of this river, we found it ran northerly still, as all the rest had done, but with this difference, that as the course of the other rivers were north by east, or north-north-east, the course of this lay north-west-north. On the farther bank of this river, we saw some sign of inhabitants, but met with none for the first day. But the next day we came into an inhabited country, the people all negroes, and stark naked, without shame, both men and women. We made signs of friendship to them, and found them a very frank, civil, and friendly sort of people. They came to our negroes without any suspicion, nor did they give us any reason to suspect them of any villainy, as the others had done. We made signs to them that we were hungry, and immediately some naked women ran and fetched us great quantities of roots, and of things like pumpkins, which we made no scruple to eat, and our artificer showed them some of his trinkets that he had made, some of iron, some of silver, but none of gold. They had so much judgment as to choose that of silver before the iron, but when we showed them some gold, we found they did not value it so much as either of the other. For some of these things, they brought us more provisions, and three living creatures as big as calves, but not of that kind. Neither did we ever see any of them before. Their flesh was very good, and after that they brought us twelve more, and some smaller creatures like hares, all which were very welcome to us, who were indeed at a very great loss for provisions. We grew very intimate with these people, and indeed they were the civilest and most friendly people that we met with at all, and mightily pleased with us, and which was very particular, they were much easier to be made to understand our meaning than any we had met with before. At last we began to inquire our way, pointing to the west. They made us understand easily that we could not go that way, but they pointed to us that we might go northwest, so that we presently understood that there was another lake in our way, which proved to be true, for in two days more we saw it plain, and it held us till we passed the equinoctial line, lying all the way on our left hand, though at a great distance. Travelling thus northward, our gunner seemed very anxious about our proceedings, for he assured us, and made me sensible of it by the maps which he had been teaching me out of, 
that when we came into the latitude of six degrees or thereabouts north of the line the land trended away to the west to such a length that we should not come at the sea under a march of above fifteen hundred miles farther westward than the country we desired to go to i asked him if there were no navigable rivers that we might meet with which running into the west ocean might perhaps carry us down their stream and then if it were fifteen hundred miles or twice fifteen hundred miles we might do well enough if we could but get provisions here he showed me the maps again and that there appeared no river whose stream was of any such a length as to do any kindness till we came perhaps within two hundred or three hundred miles of the shore except the rio grande as they call it which lay farther northward from us at least seven hundred miles and that then he knew not what kind of country it might carry us through for he said it was his opinion that the heats on the north of the line even in the same latitude were violent and the country more desolate barren and barbarous than those of the south and that when we came among the negroes in the north part of africa next the sea especially those who had seen and trafficked with the europeans such as dutch english portuguese spaniards etc they had most of them been so ill-used at some time or other that they would certainly put all the spite they could upon us in mere revenge upon these considerations he advised us that as soon as we had passed this lake we should proceed west southwest that is to say a little inclining to the south and that in time we should meet with the great river congo from whence the coast is called congo being a little north of angola where we intended at first to go i asked him if ever he had been on the coast of congo he said yes he had but was never on shore there then i asked him how we should get from thence to the coast where the european ships came seeing if the land trended away west for fifteen hundred miles we must have all that shore to traverse before we could double the west point of it he told me it was ten to one but we should hear of some european ships to take us in for that they often visited the coast of congo and angola in trade with the negroes and that if we could not yet if we could but find provisions we should make our way as well along the seashore as along the river till we came to the gold coast which he said was not above four hundred or five hundred miles north of congo besides the turning of the coast west about three hundred more that shore being in the latitude of six or seven degrees and that there the english or dutch or french had settlements or factories perhaps all of them i confess i had more mind all the while he argued to have gone northward and shipped ourselves in the rio grande 
or, as the traders call it, the River Negro, or Niger, for I knew that at last it would bring us down to the Cape de Verde, where we were sure of relief, whereas at the coast we were going to now, we had a prodigious way still to go, either by sea or land, and no certainty which way to get provisions but by force. But for the present I held my tongue, because it was my tutor's opinion. But when, according to his desire, we came to turn southward, having passed beyond the second great lake, our men began all to be uneasy, and said we were now out of our way for certain, for that we were going farther from home, and that we were indeed far enough already. But we had not marched above twelve days more, eight whereof were taken up in rounding the lake, and four more southwest, in order to make for the river Congo, but we were put to another full stop, by entering a country so desolate, so frightful, and so wild, that we knew not what to think or do, for, besides that it appeared as a terrible and boundless desert, having neither woods, trees, rivers, or inhabitants, so even the place where we were was desolate of inhabitants, nor had we any way to gather in a stock of provisions for the passing of this desert, as we did before at our entering the first, unless we had marched back four days to the place where we turned the head of the lake. End of section 12 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox